0: The school is out. Which means it's time for High Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids Show. My name is Ronal Silverstone and I am your host for today. This is Hi Kids, For Kids, By Kids. And thank you so much for choosing 101.9 Hi FM and listening to the Hi Kids Show. Today on the Hi Kids Show, I'll be speaking to Dr. Les Shine. He is a general practitioner doctor. Listen, kids, you don't want to go away. We have a very interesting show for you today. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. My name is Renal Silverstone and I'm your host for today. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, how's it? Good and you? Good, thanks.
0: Thank you for coming on our show.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: So, let's begin. Okay. What does a GP stand for?
1: A GP stands for a general practitioner. And it's what is it? Basically, um, it's like an all-rounder. One goes to medical school and one qualifies, and uh, some doctors like to specialize. General practice, practice is also becoming a specialization, but in the old traditional ways, you'd finish medical school, You'd go do your internship for a few years, and then you would go into general practice. And just as the name says, you general, you have to deal with all aspects of medicine and not only specialize in one aspect of medicine.
0: Well, wow. So are there different type of doctors?
1: There are many different types of doctors. Uh, you know, general practitioners, I'd say, are definitely the most... Uh, popular type of doctor that one knows and is involved in community and in private work but of course there are many kinds of doctors specialists radiologists and uh, guys who work in labs pathologists and uh, all the specialities be it cardiologists respiratory physicians neurologists and many, many others, and doctors also that aren't involved in medicine and do mainly administrative work, like superintendents of hospitals, and so there's a, a very wide variety of types of doctors. Hmm.
0: Do you, what type of um, treatments do you give to the patients?
1: All types of treatments, we listen to patients, we see what their problem is, we try and Define the problems and then we try and manage the problems that the patients present with. The problems may be physical, bad colds, injuries and uh, heart attacks and more serious things. And then you get patients that come with emotional problems and you get patients who come with social problems. So you really deal with a wide variety of presentations.
0: Very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So then what is diagnose?
1: Diagnose means to try and find out why the patient has come to visit you and uh, because patients often present with a variety of symptoms or problems and then your job as the GP is to try and simplify and put all of those Problems and symptoms and examine the patient well after taking a good history and then trying to analyze exactly why they've come and then trying to manage that problem. When you've analyzed and defined the problem, that's what you call your diagnosis. That's what you work with once you've decided exactly what the problem is.
0: Very, very... Like, interesting, like, sorry, I like, don't have any words because it's quite, like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, how do you diagnose someone?
1: You listen to what they tell you carefully. You examine them very well. If you feel it's necessary in order to help you to come to that definition of diagnosis, you use a lot of adjuvant methods. You might send them for x-rays. You might send them for blood tests. And, uh, you know, you, you use time also to help you make the diagnosis because the diagnosis may not be evident immediately. It may take time and more tests and investigations to come to that diagnosis and to understand why that patient actually came to you. And then you might, your treatment may alter, your treatment may be, uh, Different depending on the results that you get back and depending how you use time and the analysis of all the re- results to make that diagnosis.
0: Wow, long way to go. <laughs> yeah. So, how do you treat an open w- wound?
1: Well, you treat an open wound. First of all, you find out what, what caused the wound. If, is it a clean wound? Is it a dirty wound? How long have the, has the wound been opened? You try and clean it well if it's badly injured. You know, if it's a deep cut, there may be muscles, there may be tendons involved and you have to, uh, you know, look at those and see the function of the part that's been damaged. And then you try and repair it as best you can. And you know, you may have to, Keep the, put the patient on antibiotics, you stitch up the wound, if you think the wound is contaminated, you don't want it to become infected, if it's a dog bite and you might not want to close the wound in most instances because the wound will invariably become septic, so it's there's no point in closing the wound often unless it's a gaping wound because in any event it will probably break down But in most instances, in simple open wounds, you just suture those wounds and they usually heal very well. You also have to prevent complications of the wounds. So you might have to give them a tetanus jab if they haven't had one recently. And uh, that's basically how you'd manage a wound.
0: Do you do operations?
1: I do still do minor operations in my surgery, like removing molds and simple things. When I was first in practice, yes, I'd have a minor operation list and do uh, tonsillectomies and uh, removals of lumps and bumps and things and, you know, more simple procedures. And then I'd often go to theater to with my patients for more major surgical procedures, like, for example, if they had to have their appendixes out or their gallbladder or such-like operations.
0: Hmm. Why do we need tetanus injections?
1: Well, wounds are often contaminated by a specific bacteria that, uh, that produces a terrible toxin. So if you get a wound that is contaminated with the bacteria that make the tetanus poison or toxin, then that toxin can have extreme effects on you later on. It may take a long time, but you get terrible neurological complications and you can die as a result of the complications of the tetanus poison. So we have, we combat that. And even as children, we all have tetanus vaccines and when we have contaminated wounds, we often boost our immunity by giving vaccines and those vaccines make us recognize the toxin that that bacteria produces and then that toxin is destroyed by our body before it has its deleterious effects on the body. So today, we... In a first world situation, we hardly see any severe tits in these cases because most people are immunized and the wounds do not have those bad effects as a result of the organism that produces that toxin.
0: Wow. That mm. is hard and upsetting, <laughs> but very interesting. Sure. What are mumps?
1: Mumps is a virus that, uh, you know, With children get also that have, a, you know, complications. I mean, most people, the picture that most people have with mumps is, uh, you know, that you're a typical little chipmunk and you've got these big swellings on either side of your face in front of your ears. But the common side effect of the mumps virus when you get it is that it causes your salivary glands, particularly the parotid salivary glands that are in front of your ears, to swell and become inflamed. And then you get that typical swelling, and that's the commonest way that you actually diagnose mumps. But again, we uh, have got an effective vaccine against mumps, which we give to everyone. And so... uh, You don't see mumps that often, but still you do see quite a lot of mumps around, and I mean, that's the main uh, feature of mumps, but of course it can have lots of other problems associated with mumps. Probably the most serious is that you can have a mild encephalitis associated with it. You can get uh, tummy ache from uh, inflammation of your pancreas, and it can have lots of other things, but Most people, uh, you know, just get the swelling of the, of the salivary glands and then it usually takes seven to 10 days to go down again and then they make a full recovery in the majority of cases.
0: So how do you get rid of it then?
1: It's your, again, your own body's immune system that gets rid of it. There's no effective treatment other than vaccinating yourself as a child.
0: Wow. So, why did you choose to become a GP and not other doctors?
1: You know, I think it's different things for for different people, but for me, um, yeah, I I like being a jack of all trades. I like my interaction with people and uh, I love the the idea of family medicine and knowing my patients well treating them holistically, and knowing everyone, not just only seeing adults, seeing children, adults, elderly people, and knowing families well and having a, a rapport and an amazing relationship with families. Mm. I mean, there, I have certain interests, and, uh, you know, there were times when I considered Becoming a specialist in that field But I think general practice is a speciality in its own And since I've qualified from medical school Family medicine has become a speciality on its own And you can specialize as a family medicine doctor Which is like a kind of specialist of general practice
0: Very, very, very interesting (laughs) (laughs) Yep And Can you tell us one of your best stories?
1: Best stories? Wow, let me think. There's so many best stories. They're good stories. They're bad stories. Sad and happy events. Um, Let's think. I've had some amazing experiences. I'll tell you one. I don't know. It might be a bit shocking. But uh, once a patient came into my surgery and he um he sat down he didn't speak to the receptionist and he just sat down and he waited to be addressed but of course the rooms were full and patients kept on coming in and he just sat there all the time and uh I kept on coming to the waiting room and calling patients in, and I noticed that he was just sitting there. And I asked my receptionist, why are you not letting him in? She said, well, he didn't even greet me, and he just sat down, you know. And he didn't look so well. So I said to my receptionist, please let this gentleman in next. He doesn't look so well. So she brought him into the surgery, and I tried to communicate with him and ask him why he had come to visit me. And he uh, he had great difficulty communicating with me. He was like speaking mumbled language, and not uh, I couldn't understand him well. So I decided the rooms were full. I must just get ahead with things, and I decided to examine him. And, uh, you know, to my amazement, when I examined him and looked at him, I saw that he had bits of blood and bone on his scalp. And, uh, when I asked him to examine him and looked in his mouth, I saw that he had a big hole in his palate, in his mouth. And I realized what this chap had done, unfortunately and uh, he had had an attempt at suicide taken a gun put it in his mouth and shot it through his palate through his head and then he managed he had fallen asleep and been unconscious the whole night and then he woke up and managed to walk to the rooms and just sit and be seen and of course i was absolutely shocked at this and uh we had to immediately call an ambulance and rush him to hospital and everything and uh, he actually made quite a good recovery, thank God, after that. But it was <laughs> a a scary event.
0: Yeah, very. So can you tell of one of your um pardon me, um so what do you work with a nurse?
1: Yeah, I do work with a nurse. I work with the nurse and it's very helpful. They They screen the patients as well. They often do the basic things. They make appointments for you when you have to refer patients to specialists. And they help you when you need to do procedures like stitching or when someone comes in with chest pain and they have to have an ECG or they've got bad asthma and they have to have the lung function checked. Then the sisters will do all those procedures and they'll just bring me the results which I'll interpret it, and they they play a very, very important role in in the practice and in supporting the doctors. Wow. Mm.
0: So how do you know whether to refer someone to a different doctor or not?
1: It's a different, it's again quite a difficult question to answer, but, you know, everybody has their... You know, being a jack-of-all-trade, you've got so much knowledge of all the, you know, specialities, but obviously you know where your limits are, and uh, when you feel that something needs special care and more analysis of their problems, then you will often, you know, refer them on to 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 so that the specialist can undertake further analysis and to really come to a conclusion and help in – Making that diagnosis and every every G p or family doctor should be analyzing their practice all the time to see who they're using as referrals so for example, if you're using an orthopedic surgeon a lot or you're referring to a cardiologist more than you uh, than than you think you should or to a pediatrician, then maybe you can analyze your practice and see where you are deficient in certain aspects of your knowledge and say, hell, I'm using the PEED a lot or I'm using the orthopod a lot. And then you can say, well, I better brush up on my knowledge of those aspects of medicine so that I can be more informed and need to refer less in those instances because essentially a family doctor is the gatekeeper He's trying, he 's trying the patient comes in with all these symptoms and signs you analyze them and then you decide where you are going to send that patient you 've already made the definition and you decide you know how you're going to refer them out and also it's uh, it 's a good Financially, it's far more difficult, to, you know, and expensive for patients to go to specialists. Yeah. There are far fewer specialists than there are GPs, so they're often overworked. and uh, And one should, you know, try and limit those referrals, but with you know, within the knowledge that you know when you where your limitations are and where you need help in in certain situations.
0: Wow. <laughs> So, how did you become a doctor then?
1: Well, I just you know went to school like everyone else and i uh i I suppose you know being a nice Jewish boy, my parents were encouraging of me being interested in that field and uh, and then I decided to go to medical school and uh yeah it, I grew up in Blomfenin in the Free State. And then when I was young, there was no medical school at Free State. And so most young Jewish people, after they finished school, moved to university in in Johannesburg or Cape Town or Pretoria. And then I went there and I studied. And I did the first two years and then I decided I'd leave medicine for a year and I did a BSc because I was interested in anthropology and I studied a lot about early man and then after that third year when I finished my BSc I went back into medicine into third year and I've loved doing medicine and I love what I do it's a great profession
0: Wow well after the song we will learn a lot more about doctors and we'll be right back Cool You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 FM. How do you diagnose, uh, pardon me, (laughs) have you ever referred your patients to other doctors?
1: Plenty, plenty patients to other doctors for many reasons. All the time, like broken bones when they can't just simply be fixed by putting into a cast and the patient may need an operation, so off they go to the orthopedic surgeon. Or someone comes in with chest pain and you determine that they've had a heart attack and they have to go into hospital, they may need a stent or uh, urgent treatment um, if someone has got severe depression and psychological problems and they not responding to the kind of treatment that you've given them. And of course you refer them to psychologists, to psychiatrists for special treatment and so on and so forth. Many, hmm. many referrals. All day referrals.
0: But then how do you know whether to send them to the hospital?
1: Well, the hospital takes care of acute emergencies. So Many times there are acute emergencies that are necessary, and then you know that you have to send them to the hospital for admission. But for other patients that are you just investigating, say for example, some, somebody comes with terrible anemia and they short of breath and it 's been going on for a long time, and they 've been taking iron and everything, and you are unable to determine why they are so anemic. Then you can just make an appointment to go and see a specialist to try and ascertain the reason for the anemia. They may have internal bleeding or something of that nature. And then you don't have to do it as an emergency for them to be admitted, but to be investigated further and have more tests.
0: Wow. So then how can you tell if someone has a broken arm or leg?
1: First of all, you can often see the deformity when they come in, crying, they're very swollen. And then you usually send them for x-rays to determine the fracture and you can see it. And then you can see if it's in a good position or it's in a bad position and it needs to be repaired with plates or pins Or um, if it's in a good position and you can just shift it back into a good position, you may just do that with a short anesthetic or just sedating them lightly to put it in a good position and then immobilizing it in a cast. But if it's more severe, like for example, God forbid, you can have fractures that go through the skin and then the fracture is what we call an open fracture rather than a closed fracture. And those fractures are much more dangerous because once it's open, then, of course, it can get infected. So those are much more serious and have to be referred to hospital to be cared oh. for initially so that the wounds don't go septic.
0: <laughs> That's bad. Mm-hmm. But then what's the difference between an an X-ray scan, MRI, CAT scan, all of that?
1: With time, you know, we have advanced amazingly in medicine. Our diagnostic procedures are phenomenal. For example, when I came out of medical school, mainly you could just do X-rays, you know, and see what's going on. If you wanted to examine the brain, you had to do something called an air encephalogram. You had to inject air around the brain in order to see or try and define the brain, which obviously was very dangerous, and you couldn't get good definitions. And then we started getting more and more sophisticated, and we got things called computerized tomography where we could do x-rays in multiple planes, so you could get a 3D picture of the brain, and then you get even more sophisticated x-rays called MRIs, or magnetic resonance imaging, where you use the sort of electricity to pull it in that way, or the magnetic fields in order to get... Amazing picture So if you look at an MRI Or a CT scan Compared to a plain x-ray It's like chalk and cheese Amazing definition So sometimes a fracture can be Very slight and you can't even See it on an x-ray Like a stress fracture So then you'd send them for a CT scan Or an MRI which gives you Much better definition And then you can see Exactly what the problem is
0: well wow. so then what's the difference between a virus and an infection?
1: Infections are caused by many, many things, so one of the reasons you get different kinds of organisms that cause infections. You get bacteria that cause pneumonia. you get viruses which are small RNA or DNA particles that can cause infections. You can get fungi that cause infections. You can get uh, many different types of organisms that can cause infections. And, of course, you can get parasites as well, like amoebae and malariae. And there are many, many, they're all different organisms that you can study zoologically in the animal world that can cause infections.
0: This has been Hi Kids, For Kids, Bye Kids. My name is ronald Silverstone and I am 11 years old. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Les Shane for teaching me all about doctors and GPs. And- for coming on High Kids and also thank you to my producer Mandy and Craig for pushing the big red buttons. Join us on Monday for another Chai Kids show only on 101.9 Chai FM. Goodbye and Shabbat Shalom. Have a super week.